Well, good morning. My name is Clay Baker. I'm the Burlington campus pastor. It's my privilege to be preaching to you this morning. I want to start off with a question for you. Have you ever uh, felt like a fish out of water? Like really uncomfortable. So one time uh, I went on a mission trip to Scotland of all places. I was in high school. And after about 10 hours in the plane, uh, me and the, the group I was uh, with, we didn't look our best. Like our clothes were all wrinkled and we were kind of smelly and we were tired. But we, we arrive in Scotland in the middle of the afternoon. It was a beautiful day. And we just said, you know, we want, we want to go see the town. And it was a small town, quaint, quaint place. They had a good uh, shopping district with cobblestone streets and, 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 and great shops there. And it was really quiet. It was really lovely. We were like the only ones around, it seemed like. And we were just having a great time. And then all of a sudden, like seemingly out of nowhere, the streets were just flooded with all these school-aged children, junior high, high school, all in school uniforms. And so we're like their age too, we're high schoolers, but there are just these mobs of school uniform kids around and then we're there in our like shabby attire looking like a mess and they're looking at us like, who are you? Like, who are these people? Because they knew that we weren't one of them. And they and honestly wasn't really welcoming. They didn't really like it. And I just like, that was like the only time in my life that I think I've ever wanted to wear a school uniform. <laughs> I just wanted to fit in because it felt uncomfortable. And I'm sure you've all experienced that at one point or another in your life. And it was just a reminder that I wasn't home. Our hero today that we're gonna be looking at, this is the last Sunday, by the way, of our hero series, and we're closing, closing up with uh, Daniel. Daniel also was an outsider. Daniel lived his, pretty much his whole life that way. He was in exile. As a young boy, he had been uh, captured by the Babylonians when they took Jerusalem and then he was brought back to their empire and he was raised in their ways. And so I guess in that way, he was kind of like an insider. But at his core, he was an outsider because he was a Jew. He was from Israel. He worshiped the God of Israel and everybody knew that. And so he was very different from them. He was an outsider. And we, like Daniel, although we may not realize this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are also in exile. Now, I know that sounds strange because it seems pretty comfortable most of the time here in Southeast Iowa, and we think of ourselves probably as citizens of the United States. But God's word says that if you're in Christ, you're actually a citizen of heaven, that we are elect exiles in this world, and that our true citizenship is in heaven, and that's where our true home is. And so we really shouldn't feel and probably at times don't feel comfortable even here in this world. And that's to be expected because if you're living as a believer in Christ or like Daniel, a believer in Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and you're living in a foreign land, then your integrity is gonna be tested. So integrity, that's like your uh, wholeness, your completeness, are you unified? So you say you believe in Christ, do you live like you believe in Christ? Daniel says he believes in the God of Israel, does he live like he believes 
in the God of Israel. His integrity was put to the test. Our integrity is put to the test all the time. And what we'll learn in our story today is that in those moments when we are put to the test, we must decide whom it is that we serve. Do we serve the God of the universe or do we serve the ways of the world? We must decide. Daniel had to decide. And we'll see that in our story today that these tests that we experience in life and Daniel's test, they really point to an ultimate test that we'll all face. And we'll see there that the only way to pass that test is to have undivided, unified faith in Jesus Christ. So that's our story today. Daniel chapter six. We'll be in Daniel chapter six. You can turn there now in your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bibles. If you did not, grab one of our auditorium Bibles. It's on page 581, Daniel chapter six. So I mentioned that uh, this is the last of our hero sermon series. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes called the hall of faith because it presents all these heroes of the faith. And some of you astute Bible students might have uh, already thought, you know, Daniel isn't mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. What's Clay trying to do? But you astuter Bible students, it's not a word, you will know that in Hebrews 11.33, it mentions a prophet who stopped the mouths of lions. And so when I read that, when we read that, who comes to mind? Daniel, absolutely. So we're gonna read today the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den. So let's begin our story in chapter six and we'll just read the first five verses. It pleased Darius, now this is the king of Persia. Babylon had become Persia at this point. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, those were like governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. All right, so at this point in our famous story, Daniel hasn't yet been thrown into the lion's den but really we can see that in a, in a very real way, he's already in the lion's den. In other words, the world is the lion's den. These officials, these jealous officials are like lions and they're seeking to devour Daniel. They wanna, they wanna get him out of his place. And we know that spiritually speaking, there's actually another lion who's working behind the scenes. So Ephesians 2.2 says that the world follows the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan or the devil. And 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil 
prowls. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So the devil, like a prowling lion, has inspired these officials to be like little lions and devour Daniel. And why would they want to do that? Well, the officials are probably jealous of him because this outsider is rising to a high position. Daniel's a man of integrity. He was charged uh, with keeping the king's accounts so that nobody would steal from him, and he was faithful in that task. These are probably the guys that wanted to be stealing from the king. So they're not only jealous of Daniel, but they're probably losing out on some, uh, some, uh, uh, un, uh, some greedy profits that they could have. The devil, of course, would want Daniel out of his position because Daniel's about to rise to the most important position in the whole empire other than the king himself. And Daniel's a man of God. He's a man of faith. And God is the arch nemesis of the devil. So, of course, the devil who's over the world and, and has this empire that's the most powerful empire in the land, Persia, does not want a man of God in a place of almost supreme authority. And so he's trying to take him out. And we can see in our story that the first way he does, to, he does that is he tests Daniel's faithfulness. It's really a test of Daniel's character. And we've seen it already in these first five verses. It's not the big test that we often think of that we'll read about later here in our Lion's Den story. But already Daniel has passed this test of, of, uh, of faithfulness in his character. You see, you know, he wasn't uh, a dishonest man. He was true to his word. He was a man of integrity. He, he, he worshiped a God who is honest and truthful and he lived like it. He didn't steal from the king. And so these men could find no fault with him and they couldn't use that as a way to take him out of his position. We too, Christians, brothers and sisters, we are put to the test in terms of our faithfulness, in terms of our character. We're put to this test all the time. We may not have a position of worldly influence, but we have a hugely important position of spiritual influence if you are a follower of Christ. Because if you are a believer in Christ, you are called to be a witness for Christ. You are called to be an ambassador for his kingdom. You are called to be his light in the darkness. You are called to bear his image to a world that doesn't know him. And if you put yourself out there as one of these Christians, one of these image bearers, the world is watching. The world is watching you to see if you actually live out this faith that you proclaim, to see if you actually practice what you preach. So Daniel was tested at his workplace. We're tested at our workplace. People know, and we say as Christians, that God is a God of love. And so people are watching if we're overly harsh with our subordinates at work, or if we're really critical of our coworkers, or if we're really gossipy at work. That's not love. And people know that and people see that. And God's a God of truth. So people will see if you are a dishonest employee or a dishonest business owner who takes advantage of your customers or your clients. 
People see that and it ruins your reputation for Christ. It renders you ineffective for what God would have you do to advance his kingdom. And it's not just the workplace either. So it's, it's socially. So uh, I think of, personal example, uh, I used to drink alcohol as a Christian. I don't anymore. Not that I think it's absolutely wrong to do that, but this is just my example, all right? So when I did drink as a Christian and people knew I was a Christian, when I took, it felt like to me, when I took that first glass of wine or that first can of beer and took a drink, it felt like the whole room was like, because they wanted to see what was gonna happen. Because they know, and I would say, that you shouldn't get drunk on wine. Because the Bible says that, don't get drunk on wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And they wanted to know, was I gonna get drunk on wine? Was I gonna take one drink too many and be just like them? Football season's coming up. I can't wait. My wife is like rolling her eyes. I'm just, you know, she's in anticipation already of what's going to happen. But. So I love the Iowa Hawkeyes. I was there two years ago for the Iowa-Ohio State football game, 55 to 24. Yes, that happened. Let us never forget. <laughs> I was there. You know, Christians, we're not supposed to have idols. We're not supposed to worship anything in our heart other than the one true God. I was standing at this football game, Iowa, Ohio State, next to a guy. I didn't know him. I don't know if he's a Christian. But he was a really mild-mannered guy. And he was really polite, really friendly. I, I would kind of visit with him a little bit. And, uh, and then <laughs> a flag was thrown by the ref that he didn't like. And he just spewed out the most vulgar train of profanities. And <laughs> I'm standing there like... And then to, tap, to cap it all off, he stops. He turns to his son who was standing right next to him. He goes, sorry. <laughs> now, I don't know if this guy was a Christian, but if he was and if I wasn't, do I think I would believe anything this guy would say about, about purity of speech or about idols of the heart? No. I'd say, who are you fooling? Who are you kidding? And that's true whether you're at the Hawkeye game or whether you're, at, whether you're at the high school game and you're yelling at the ref. People are watching. The world is watching. And if you put yourself out there as a follower of Christ, you're being tested as to whether you're actually living out your faith in faithfulness to Christ. So the world is watching. Daniel passed his test. We as Christians should strive to pass these little tests in our life for the sake of God's kingdom. But there's another way that, Daniel's, uh, that Daniel was tested. So we pass the test of faithfulness and character. Let's read the next few verses, picking up in verse six. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, 
shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This really put Daniel in a pickle. As we're going to see, Daniel had a regular habit of praying openly. He would pray at his home with the windows open. And so people could hear and probably see him praying. And everybody already knew that Daniel was a Christian. And so this was a huge test of whether Daniel would continue to profess or even publicly identify with his faith in God. Now we're going to see how Daniel uh, succeeds in that test, but before we do, let's think about some examples of the way we're put to that kind of test, whether we will continue to identify as believers in Jesus Christ. So like all over the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing this test in a very real way. Like we might think in the comfort of America, that's not that big of a deal for us. We'll get to that. But if we are in Christ, then we are united with every other believer in Christ through one Holy Spirit. And so we should be mindful of our brothers and sisters, like those who uh, in Morocco, I was just reading about a, a, a missionary couple in Morocco that were really struggling with whether they could even say the name of Jesus, like outside of their house, even to each other. They were just really wrestling with that. Or if you come from a conservative Muslim family, and you convert to Christianity, that's really dangerous. So you've got this new God who you love more than anything else in the world and you wanna tell, tell these people, your family, the people you love more than anyone else in the world about God. But if you do and they take it wrong, which they very well may, they won't just say, oh, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with that. They'll throw you out of the family and they'll report you to the authorities and you could be publicly like flogged, abused, assaulted, put to death as a convert to Christianity. China right now is cracking down on Christians. And so for years and years, uh, Christians have been meeting kind of semi-secretly, semi-publicly in small house churches there. And they gather in small apartments and they quietly read their Bibles and quietly hear a teaching from God's word and quietly sing some songs to him, just like we do this morning, although we're a little louder. But because the crackdown has gotten so bad, they're actually, they're, they're starting to ask the question and be faced with the real choice of whether they even continue to do that. Because it's getting really costly to even, to even identify with Jesus. And so you might think, well, that's not really the case here in the States. And I would just say, maybe not to that extreme, certainly not to that extreme, but we still feel it too. And I think it's getting costlier. So I can think back to my freshman year at the University of Iowa, which by the way was 14 years ago. Are you kidding me? I have not been out of college that long. Anyway, 14 years ago, I'm feeling old. I was in freshman rhetoric class and, uh, and I was given an assignment to 
pick a topic, something I believed, believed in, believed about, and I was supposed to present my opinion on that and then not like persuade people, not try to win people over to that, but just explain why I believed what I believed. And so I chose a really hot button topic of that day, which was whether to legalize same-sex marriage. And I stated my opinion and I gave my speech. And of course, because this was about why I believe what I believe, I grounded it in God's word. Now, 15 years ago, I was still nervous to give that speech. I mean, I had gay classmates who I was friendly with. I had a professor who was super intimidating and I knew would like not agree with any of this. And I, so I was scared. I didn't know how this would be received. But you know, 15 years ago, it was actually received well. Like they didn't agree with any of it. They didn't say, oh, Clay, now we agree with all, you know, everything you're saying here. But they understood where I was coming from. They were, they were okay with that. I am not convinced that that kind of speech would even be allowed at the college campus today. Like this is a really uh, real and increasingly real challenge for students today. I'm glad I'm not a student on a university campus today because the speech codes are getting tighter and tighter and they're more and more broadly defining what is hate speech and they're prohibiting that. Even if it's a violation of the First Amendment, they'll make you fight them in court. And if you run afoul of those speech codes, they will subject you to academic discipline. So this is a real thing now for our students and professors who are Christian. Are they going to publicly identify with God and his word? And you know, the academy is more often than not a cultural leader. And so what's going on there is more often than not going to trickle down into the rest of our culture. And I think it already is in our workplaces, in our friend groups. And so I think even for us in the United States of America with our Bill of Rights, it's getting riskier and riskier costlier and costlier at work or at school or with your friends to even identify with Christ and his teachings and his word. So we too are faced with this test of faithfulness and faithfulness in terms of whether we will even continue to identify with Christ. Let's see how Daniel faced this test. Let's pick up again in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his, on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, 
or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Daniel passed this test of faithfulness in his identity as a God follower by continuing to do what he always did. He just prayed. Sometimes even ordinary faithfulness takes extraordinary courage. That's what our brothers and sisters are called upon to do all over the world, and that's what you and I are more and more called upon today. Just ordinary faithfulness. You know, this test on its face is a test of whether Daniel is going to continue to publicly identify as a Christian because probably in the quiet of his heart, he could have just said, well, I still believe in you, God. I'm just not gonna pray openly to you for the next 30 days. I'm gonna let this pass. But I think the point of this story is that at least here in Daniel chapter six, that if Daniel had done that, I think the implication is is that he would be walking away from his faith altogether. Such that I don't think this is really a test just of faithfulness. I think it's a test of Daniel's faith. So faith is our hope. It's our trust. It's our belief. It's our conviction. Faithfulness is how we live that out. So we've been talking about all these tests of faithfulness. Do we practice what we preach? And some we pass and some we fail. Daniel here, I think, is faced with a test of faith. When everything is on the line, is he going to hold fast to his faith or is he going to walk away? We face that too. We face that kind of test. So we're seeing today, if you've been scanning the headlines, you'd see that there have been a couple really prominent Christian leaders just in the last couple of weeks that have publicly renounced their faith. They've just walked away. And I think, I don't know, but I think that it's just because it's just getting harder and harder to resist the ways of the world. I mean, we're swimming upstream, folks. 
And I think some of our brothers and sisters in the Lord and in this and even really prominent ones are just getting tired. And they're just saying it would be a lot easier to just go with the flow. I'm sure some of us feel that way, but I know many of us uh, face this kind of test in a different way. And that's when we are in the midst of all the worst that this world could throw at us. All the worst that we could experience in this life. When we lose one we're closest to when we come down with a terminal illness, when we're the victim of a brutal crime, when our marriage is falling apart. It's in those moments when I'm sure all of us who are going through that ask, is this even real? Is God real? And if he is, does he really love me? Is he really good? Is he really for me? Brothers and sisters, all I can say to you, if that's you now in those moments, all I can say to you is what the author of Hebrews says, which is hold fast. In the midst of the storm, Hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. This life can be dark. This life can be a storm. But we believe in and serve a God who promises that all this darkness and all this corruption and all this pain and all this hurt will one day fade away. He will roll it up like a garment and he will make it all new. And he is faithful to do that. He is faithful to save us from this day. And he was faithful to save Daniel. Let's read the rest of our story. Picking up again in verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. 
So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Can I get an amen to that? So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So when everything was on the line for Daniel, he remained faithful he remained in faith and he passed the test. He was saved from the mouths of the lions. This story, this kind of judgment that Daniel faced, it really points forward to the final judgment that we are all going to face. And this story in Daniel's story Daniel was saved because of his faithfulness. We, in the final judgment, will be saved by faithfulness, but not our faithfulness. We'll be saved through faith in the only one who is truly faithful, and that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus, like Daniel, was blameless. And even more than Daniel, because he was perfect, because he is God. Jesus is God. He is God the Son, who took on flesh and came to this earth and lived a blameless, perfect life. And like Daniel, he was falsely accused and he was sentenced to death. But unlike Daniel... Jesus was not spared the execution of his death sentence. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he took on the sins of the world on himself, and then he died. He took the wrath of his heavenly Father, which was poured out on sin, to pay the penalty for our sin. And he died. He died in our place so that we, not by faithfulness, but by faith in him, might live. And on the third day, he rose again. And he rose again, and he ascended to the right hand of his heavenly Father so that we too can hope 
can truly hope, like firmly believe that we too, through faith in Christ, will live and we will live with him. When we place our faith in Jesus, God not only forgives us, but he actually credits us with Jesus's faithfulness. So we so often fail these tests. Sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail, but really at the end of the day, we fail. Jesus though, was perfectly faithful and by God's grace, when we believe in him, we are cloaked with his faithfulness. We are saved through faith in him, but it's on the grounds of his faithfulness, not our own. And this is all by God's grace. That's why we say salvation is by grace. It's a gift. If it weren't, we'd have to earn it. And then all of us would fail. But it's a gift that we didn't have to earn it because Jesus earned it. And we are credited with his faithfulness, with what he earned by believing on him, throwing ourselves on him. And it's a gift to even believe in him at all. So we come into this world depraved. We come into this world with wicked, sinful hearts. We're not even capable of having faith in Christ. But God gives us that gift too. By God's grace, we have the ability to even believe in Christ. It's all by God's grace. Amen? So Daniel's the last of our heroes that we'll be considering. And like the other heroes of the faith in chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, they're good examples for us to follow. Daniel's a great example for us to follow. In fact, I can only think of like Daniel and Joseph as, as, a, as a couple characters that I can't see anything glaringly wrong with them. So like they're really good examples. But you know what? All these Hebrews 11 heroes, it's like they're standing in a line and as we read Hebrews 11 and as we go to the Old Testament and read their stories and we look at them, they're all pointing to him. They're all pointing to the true example, the better example, the only real example for us to follow. They're pointing to Jesus. In fact, the very next words after Hebrews chapter 11, this is chapter 12, verses one and two, they say this, therefore, so we've just gone through all these heroes of the faith, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We should aspire to be like Daniel. We should aspire to have his faith and his faithfulness. But a better example 
is the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And so as we look to him in faith, as we wholly, utterly depend on him, let us also, in recognition of all that he's done for us, in honor of his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice, let us also live lives of integrity. Let us also live lives of faithfulness. Let us run the race with endurance, holding fast to the confession of our faith until the day when we will be in our true home with him. Let's pray.